I'd like to invite you to join me in Revelation chapter 2 this morning. It's on page 849 if you grabbed a Bible, uh, one of the Bridge Bibles coming in today, Revelation chapter 2. We started a series a couple of weeks ago uh, entitled The Church Refocus, kind of a way to begin the new year. And it's a five-part series from Revelation chapter 1 through Revelation chapter 3. In 2009, uh, Steve Montfordo attended a baseball game between the Philadelphia Phillies and the Washington Nationals. And um, he was seated in the upper deck with his three-year-old daughter, Emily. Uh, In a few minutes, as he was sitting there, a foul ball came uh, toward him. And instinctively, uh, he, he went for the foul ball and he leaned over the rail The good news is he caught the foul ball. First time in his life, the only time in his life, in a big league game, he catches a foul ball. And uh, he's pretty proud of this moment. And, you know, the fans are cheering for him. And he takes the ball, and then he turns and he gives this trophy to the one he loves, three-year-old Emily. Emily gets the ball, and she quickly throws it (laughs) over the railing to the lower deck. And Steve Marfoto was shocked. And he thought about it. And he could have been very irritated at three-year-old Emily. But he did what a good father would do. He put his arms around her and gave her a very tender hug in front of thousands of people cheering him on. As a loving father, sometimes God gives us gifts that we don't always appreciate. And sometimes we just throw them away. Sometimes God gives us gifts that we don't recognize or appreciate, we don't value. And yet he keeps on loving us like a heavenly father. He is patient. In part three of the church refocus, we begin the letters to the seven churches, seven letters from Jesus to seven churches in Asia Minor in the New Testament world in 95 AD. In chapter one, we learned about the apostle John, who was the writer of the book of Revelation. He was being held in a prison colony in the Isle of Patmos because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He was imprisoned because he was a follower of Christ And the Romans thought he was making waves. In chapter 1, the Apostle John was in the spirit. We talked about that last week. That God gave him a vision to see the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ. A glorious experience for John. And he was asked to write down. John was asked to write down what he saw and what he heard. And what comes next are the seven letters to seven churches. They are often overlooked in study. Some of you perhaps have studied the seven letters before. They are, church, they are letters to real churches in the first century. They are just as important as the book of Ephesians or Philippians or Romans or the book of Colossians. Seven letters uh, not studied very often. And that's what our focus is going to be in the next uh, three weeks. And so uh, the first letter is in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, page 849. And it is to the church without love, 
to the church without love. And uh, if you follow along on your outline, uh, the, the church is in verse 1a. It's the church of Ephesus. Ephesus was an ancient city, a major city of Asia, Asia Minor with a population of over 200,000 people in the first century. The church, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1a, the first part, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. And so Jesus is speaking through, and John is writing this down. And so this letter is going to be to the church, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. We talked about this last week, about the seven angels mentioned in chapter 1. Now they're mentioned in chapter 2 and and chapter 3. It's to the angel of the church. The church has an angel. In the Bible, the word angel um, means messenger. It can be a supernatural messenger like angels of God. That's how it's most often used in the Bible. Sometimes it can be used of a human messenger. John the Baptist was such a messenger. He was the messenger that went before the Lord to prepare the way of the Lord, a human messenger. John sent messengers ahead of him. John the Baptist sent messengers of him. Um, And the word is the word for angels. And um, these were human messengers. Jesus, on an occasion, sent messengers ahead of him. They were his disciples. So it can be used as a human messenger. In my understanding of these verses, this is a human messenger of the church a human messenger who will go back to the church and report what Jesus has to say. Very likely, these are the pastors of the churches. And they have gone to the Isle of Patmos to meet with John. And even if you read um, Revelation chapter 1, this is chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show his servants. Who are the servants? These are the messengers. And the order goes, he made it known by sending his angel, I believe that's a supernatural angel, to his servant John, who testified to everything he saw, that is the word of God. So it goes, it's going to go from uh, Jesus to an angel, to John, to the human messengers who are going to go back to the seven churches. And they're very likely the pastors of the church or church leaders representing those churches in the first century. Uh, Let's see the map of the seven churches just as a reminder. This is the ancient world, uh, Mediterranean Sea. Uh, You can see the Greek world, Asia Minor to the right. And uh, notice where the circle is. That's the island of Patmos. That's where John is. There's a Roman prison colony there. And that's where he is. He can't leave. Then you see the churches. They kind of go in a cycle, Ephesus, Smyrna, Sardis, uh, Pergamum, Thyatira, back to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. It's it's a circuit, as as if a circuit that someone would travel. And um, God could have picked any churches that he wanted, but he chose these churches. I don't know the reason why he picked these. Uh, There are many other churches in the New Testament during this time period. But these are the churches, and these are churches that John, the Apostle John, Uh, who was one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the 12. He was like an overseer of these churches during this time. And so these guys would probably report to him, these seven pastors of these seven churches. Every letter, going on to the character of Christ on your outline, every letter 
uh, had a description of Jesus from Revelation chapter 1. And here's what we see in uh, Revelation chapter... Next slide, next slide. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Um, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, who holds the seven stars in his right hand is Jesus. And we saw that from chapter 1. It identified very clearly in all the passages, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the Son of Man. And so every church is going to get a description of Jesus, and it relates to the letter, to the words that he has to say. These are the words of him, Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Jesus is holding those seven leaders in his right hand authoritatively because Jesus is the head of the church. He's there to protect his leaders and in his right hand. He walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, we understood from last week, and you see this in Revelation chapter 1, the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. What are lampstands supposed to do? They hold light. They are a structure to hold light. These are the churches, and the churches is an organism and a structure that holds the light of the world. Remember, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Then he told his disciples, you are the light of the world. And the church, as the light of the world, is to display uh, who Christ is, to be a testimony for Christ, to display light. So people can see Christians live, this is the plan, and they can, oh, that's what Jesus is like. And so the, the lampstand holds the light. The church holds, contains the, the light. So here's a picture. Think about this. Jesus holds the seven stars in his right hand and he walks among the churches and he's present and he sees everything that's going on in the life in every person. He knows every detail. And they need to hear this because of what they are facing uh, the common, uh, commendation is verses 2 and 3 and also in, verses six, in verse 6. We're gonna, the commendation is skips verses uh, 4 and 5, and we'll come to those in just a minute. Jesus is well aware of every situation. We talked about last week that the church was undergoing a persecution during these days under the emperor Domitian. And um, Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2 and verses 2 and 3. Next slide. I know your deeds, Jesus says. I know. I know your works. I know what you've been up to. I know what you've gone through. I know about your hard work and your perseverance. Can you imagine Jesus saying this about a group of people? He says, I know. I know how hard you work for me. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Jesus says, I know. Here is a church who, who has been persecuted and they have hung on. They have a great reputation. Uh, they have honored Jesus. Jesus is honored by them. He says, I know you can't to tolerate wicked men. 
They have a great understanding of Scripture. They have Bible knowledge. Look at this. Uh, you, have, you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not. They were able to test uh, leadership according to sound doctrine. They ran uh, when some false leaders came, false apostles, not the real deal. And they claimed to be apostles in the church in Ephesus. And they were evaluated by the church doctrinally. And they didn't muster. They couldn't withstand. And uh, they were found false by the church. And Jesus applauds them. And they've persevered. They have not grown weary. Um, Also in verse 6. Next slide. But you have this in your favor. So this is another commendation. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We don't know a lot about the Nicolaitans. There apparently was a man named Nicholas in the early church and was in the church, a uh, professing follower of Christ. And he also got involved in Greek philosophy, which is very common in this area of the world, called Gnosticism. And it, it uh, leaned toward this kind of Gnosticism, leaned toward um, immorality, sensuality. It was mixed in with worship at the Temple of Diana. In Ephesus, there was the, one of the seven wonders of the world existed. It was the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana. Artemis is Greek. Uh, Diana is Roman. Same, same goddess. And she was worshipped. It was a very large temple, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Part of that included temple prostitution. Part of their reenactment of worship included sexuality. And there was Christians getting mixed up. And uh, this is likely the group of Nicolaitans. And Jesus said, you hate those practices. And those are practices that I hate also. And he commends them uh, for their stance. Now we're going to come to the condemnation in verse 4. Condemnation, verse 4. And let's look at verse 4, next slide. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. This has been a great church, but they're not perfect. And this is upsetting to Jesus. He says, this I hold against you. You have forsaken your first love. What was their first love? It was to be Jesus. Once Jesus was first. Once they were passionate about serving Jesus. Once they um, were passionate to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But they have become focused on knowledge focused on being sound doctrinally, and some of their passion has left. They've been focused on being right, and their hearts have slipped spiritually. And Jesus offers them this correction. When you think about this, this is like 95 AD. Forty years earlier, Paul was there. And then Timothy became their pastor. Later, John would become their pastor. 30 to 40 years, and they began to cool off. Has that ever happened to you? When you think back in your life, when were you closest to God? When did you feel closest to Jesus Christ? You ever find yourself slipping away? I remember as a brand new Christian at the age of 25, Christianity was so real to me. Jesus was so real to me because of the change, because of going from an atheist to, yeah, now I'm a follower of Christ. Wow. And a sense of forgiveness and a sense of being clean, a sense of getting a new start. 
And when I came to the Bible, it was easy to read. I wanted to hear what God had to say for me. And when I was learning to pray, it was really hard for me to learn to pray, really hard to, to humble myself to pray. But I look forward because I thought God had big answers. And my Christian life was exciting. Then I went to seminary. I studied the Bible every day, night and day, seven days a week. And I became a student. And the Bible was a textbook. And I started to lose some of the passion. I love knowledge, but I began to lose my passion for the person. Slippage. It happens. Actually, it happens to all of us sometimes. There's a lot of things that can come before Jesus. It can be a career. I've had ministry being more important than Jesus. The work of the church being more important than Jesus. It's easy. Your children can become more important than Jesus. They're important. God knows that. Your spouse is important, but not more important than Jesus. I'm really glad that Sue loves Jesus more than she loves me. Um. So uh, let me just remind you from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The Israelites understood this to be the most important passage in the Bible, the most important command. Jesus was asked about this in Matthew 22. Next slide. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The idea is your total being, put God first, love him. I confess, learning to say that I love God was really, really hard for me as a male. Men in my family did not say they loved anything. So for me to learn to say I loved God, who I couldn't see, was really hard. But over time, I could say it. And it's true today. I love the Lord, my God, with all my heart. I waffle sometimes. I can tell you every Sunday morning, I make sure that everything is in line because there can be slippage during the week. But I know this is the right position. So, has your love for God cooled off? Have you put any people or things ahead of God? Are you too busy for God? So, Question here, reevaluate. What do you need to do to get back in that place where you need to be? You probably have a couple of suggestions for yourself. Verse 5 is the correction. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Let's see that passage. Remember the height from which you have fallen? He's saying, here's the order. Remember, think back, reevaluate. Do you remember those early days? Do you remember that time when you were closest to God? What was that like? What were you doing? What spiritual involvement did you have? Were you serving? Were you reading your Bible? Were you spending more time in prayer? Was it the people you were with? And then he says, repent and do the things you did at first. Repent. He's saying, change your mind, change your attitude, change your behavior. Make those mid-course adjustments. Get back. Do the things you did at first. That's to repeat it. If you do not repent, listen to this. Here's a warning. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. If you don't change, if you don't put me first, I'm coming back 
and I'm going to remove your lampstand. What's he saying? I'm going to remove the church. There's no church in Ephesus today. No church. You've probably seen churches close their doors. When churches begin to depart from the word of God and depart from salvation and the gospel, the life disappears and Jesus removes himself. And this is a real challenge here. Uh, So the order next, remember, repent, and repeat. One more, there you go. That's the correction, to do the things you did at first. The challenge comes in uh, chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what he says to the churches. He who has an ear. You got an ear? He wasn't talking about, did you just have an ear? And he says, do you hear? He wasn't talking about just can you pick up vibrations in the room that make sound. He wasn't talking about that. The idea is he who has an ear, let him hear. What does it mean to hear? It means to spiritually discern. It means to understand and do something about it. That's the biblical concept in the Old Testament and the New Testament of hearing it. Do you hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches? You've lost your first love. That's what he said to the church of Ephesus. What's he saying to you? Have you lost your first love? Do you need to move back where you've been? And he says, uh, to him who overcomes, who are the overcomers? I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Uh, next slide is First uh, John 5, 4. Who is the overcomer? Verse 4, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Somebody who is a genuine follower of Christ Born again spiritually. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Our faith brings that victory to overcome the world. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The person who is born again. He is the one who is an overcomer here. Um, the tree of life, the promise here is about the tree of life. In the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, the tree of life is mentioned next to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. After Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 22, they were told they couldn't go back. They couldn't go back into the garden. And they would not be allowed to eat from the tree of life. So they were prohibited from that. And then we come to the book of Revelation, chapter 22. Bookends of the Bible, Genesis and Revelation. The tree of life is back in paradise, in heaven, at the center. And it will bring healing to the nations. And the promise is that... um, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, for the one who overcomes, to the genuine follower of Christ. That's the church at Ephesus. That's the church that lost its first love. Secondly, to the church in suffering, verses 8 through 11. Second church. The second church is Smyrna. Let's go on to A. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, right. So to the messenger, human messenger, probably to the pastor, of Smyrna. This is the only time the church in Smyrna is mentioned in the Bible. 
We don't even know there was a church there apart from Revelation chapter 2. Smyrna was a major city, 250 to 400,000 people by 100 A.D. It was also a coastal city, 35 miles north of Ephesus. Ephesus was a coastal city. Didn't look like it on the map because the river had filled in their harbor and they were now miles inside of the the coast. And um, in the first century, Smyrna then was was a coastal city like Ephesus. The character of Christ is also mentioned in verse 8. Character of Christ. These are the words of him who is the first and last who died and came to life again. Again, this is part of the picture of Revelation chapter 1, the vision of Jesus. These are his words. Jesus, the one who is first and last, the, one, the eternal one, the alpha and the omega, the one who is in Genesis chapter 1 and the one who is in Revelation chapter 22, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the one who died, the one who was nailed to the cross, the one who paid the penalty for our sin, the one who died and came to life again on the third day he was resurrected. This is important to this church because they are the suffering church. And Jesus has suffered and he wants them to know that he died, he suffered, he was executed, but he lives again. And he is alive right now. The commendation comes uh, in verse 9. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about your suffering. I know what you've gone through. We don't know in detail about this. We just know there was a persecution going on under Domitian. I know the slander of those. I know what people have said about you. I don't know if you've read people say things about you. Slander. Christians say that things about you that are hurtful. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are, of a, sin, uh, are a synagogue of Satan. Jesus saying, I know what you're going through. I know how hard it's been. I know of your physical suffering, the tortures you have faced. I understand. I know what people have said about you. And then he talks about slander of those who say they are Jews. John is referring to what a true Jew, Jewish person would be, according to Paul's perspective in Romans 2.27, one who has a circumcised heart, not just physically, but spiritually. True family of God, one who's been born again. They say they're Jews, but they're not. They are a synagogue of Satan. A synagogue was to be um, a gathering of Jewish people, required 10 Jewish men over the age of 20. So if you lived in a city where there were 10 Jewish men over the age of 20, you should have a synagogue, a meeting place, a gathering place to worship and to read the scriptures. All over the ancient world, synagogues raised up wherever there were 10 males and their families. There is a synagogue in Smyrna that have attacked Uh, the church. There's a lot of uh, strife over Christianity and Jewish faith because the Jews thought Christians were heretics because of Jesus. 
and they have uh, attacked the uh, Christians in Smyrna. And um, the commendation, or excuse me, the condemnation. What is the condemnation? None. Jesus has nothing to say. Nothing. Uh, they haven't failed. This is really amazing if you read the seven letters, and we're going to. He has nothing to offer that they've slipped in. And then he does, uh, we're going to call it a correction in verse 10. The correction, do not be afraid, because some of them were afraid. Some of them were fearful for their lives. Some of them were fearful about torture. Some of them were fearful because they might have to choose the emperor as God over Jesus, that they might be faced with that and they might lose their life. Some of them were afraid. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. He's telling them, you are going to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life, a reward for suffering, for persecution. Um, Some of you are going to be put into prison. Some of you are going to be tested for 10 days. Could be 10 literal days, 10 24-hour days. It could be time periods. A lot of scholars think this refers to the 10 different persecutions that the church went through in the first 250 years. It could. The idea of 10 days is Jesus announced a limited time period that the church will face this. The church in Smyrna had to face this. But Jesus says, be faithful even to the point of death. Jesus didn't offer physical safety here. He did not offer physical protection. He said, stay the course, persevere, be faithful. This goes against American Christianity. It goes against the American culture because safety is an extreme value in our culture. It often is a very good one. But don't make this part of your theology. Um, I have a quote here that I won't read because I want to end this. I want to land this plane. But there's so many things about our culture is that we choose safety, we choose the best, we want everything to be safe. And yet, Jesus didn't make that possible. Um, You can be in the, being in the center, here's wrong theology. Being in the center of God's will is not always the safest place to be. Being in the center of God's will is not always the safest place to be. Um, John the Baptist was in the center of God's will, and he was beheaded. Jesus was in the center of God's will, and he got crucified. Stephen was in the center of God's will in Acts 8, and he was stoned to death. Um, Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, that would be the pastor of Smyrna, in 156 AD, so 50-some years after John. Polycarp was a disciple of John, you know, one-to-one kind of discipling, John and Polycarp. Polycarp was burned at the stake for being a Christian in Smyrna uh, 50-some years after this. 
And you could go through history and look at missionaries who've given their life for Christ. 1956, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint. Please understand that Jesus never promised that we wouldn't face physical suffering for our faith. The challenge, verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. And very clearly saying, pay attention here. This is what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes, the true genuine follower of Jesus Christ who has been born again, will not be hurt by the second death. Second death, Revelation chapter 20. It's a place of final judgment for those without Christ. It's called the lake of fire. I had passages to show you, but I'm going to skip those. So, um, just take a minute and reevaluate. Have you lost your first love? Have you moved away? Are you slipping? What is it going to take to move back, to get back where you need to be? Let's stand and pray. Father, I thank you for the challenges from Revelation chapter 2 in the letters to the church at Ephesus and the letters to the church of Smyrna. God, you've got our attention and we're thinking about where we stand before you and are we living like Jesus really is Lord of our lives and have we submitted to him? Show us, God, what things we need to do, what people we need to be, what attitudes we should have, what kind of conversations we should have with you so that you will be first in all things. For Jesus' sake, amen.